Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. I want to continue tonight our sermon series that we've been doing on Sundays. You know, I've got um, some annual sermons coming up that I need to do, some messages that we teach annually around the Christmas season and whatnot, and we get into some awesome the- uh, theological, historical uh, pieces there. And so I've got the, these few weeks approaching, So, but I, we've been in this, in this sermon series called The King's of men, and it's been incredibly rewarding for us as a church family. The Word of God has just continually blessed us through uh, through this study of the kings of men and God's appointed kings, good kings, bad kings, so on and so forth. That uh, you know, with Christmas fast approaching, I don't want to leave too much on the table. There's so much here. I want to get as much out of the study as I can. So we're going to move this study from Sunday to Wednesday tonight. You guys good with that? I hope so. Tonight we're going to uh, study a king named Hezekiah. Uh, So I hope you've got your Bible ready. Hope you've got your coffee ready. Let me see. Who do I have on here? Let me see. I'm going to check in with you. I've got Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Pamela. Andy. Good to see you guys. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, Ray. What's up, Lisa? Scott. Good to see you guys tonight. Glad to see you. I'm going to try to look down here. Jesse, hey Jesse. I'm going to try to look down here as much as I can and uh, interact with you guys. That's kind of a fun part about Wednesday night is I have the opportunity to do that now that I've got this other iPad here so I can follow with it. So I'll try to remember to do that. But we're going to be looking uh, in, if you want to open your Bibles, uh, get ahead of the game. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 38 tonight, okay? Isaiah chapter 38. Um, if you're a note taker, also do me a favor and write down Second Chronicles right now. Second Chronicles, chapters 29 through chapters 31. Okay, and then First Kings chapter 12. That's going to be your homework for tonight. I'm not going to go through all that tonight because it's obviously those are many chapters. But I'm going to give you a summary of those texts. So uh, that's your homework for tonight to go back and read those maybe over either this evening or over the next couple days just to check up on there. Right? Don't take my word for anything. Don't take any man's word or even kings of men's word for anything. Right? The word of God is what we test everything by as good Bereans. Amen? So, we're going to study Hezekiah, as I said. Uh, Our study begins in a time of apostasy in Israel. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar to, honestly, the world that we live in today. It also sounds familiar as far as how our study has gone so far. This past Sunday, we studied Jehoshaphat. What was the problem when he arrived? Well, uh, what was the problem when King Asa arrived, right? Well, uh, apostasy is this thing that seems to keep creeping back around it just won't go away as soon as you kick it out and you wipe it out in the country it it's never more than just one generation away right so uh, Israel it's a time of apostasy in the land Hezekiah the king of men comes to power I I asked you this this past Sunday and the previous uh, Sunday we talked about this by what measure by what measure does God judge a king by what measure? 
If you look throughout the Word of God, and I'll argue that, you know, the closing of Revelation around 90 AD, right, uh, the, the standard hasn't changed. How will God judge the kings? How will God judge Donald Trump? How will God judge um, Barack Obama or uh, uh, Macron or any of these guys, right? Do they fear the Lord? That's it. That's it. God, we judge our kings by how's the economy doing, right? You know, are we into any new foreign wars or anything like that? You know, God, God doesn't. It's not that he doesn't care about that, but as far as how he judges a king, it's one thing. Does he fear the Lord or not? So that's the measure by which we should judge our leaders, okay? Does he fear the Lord? Is he a good king, okay? If he's a good king, what does he do then? What does he do? Do you remember? Good kings, whenever they come into power and there's apostasy in the land, but they step into power, what do they do? We said it on Sunday. They drain the swamp, right? Drain the swamp. Okay, so who is this Hezekiah and what is he going to do? And I'm going to give you this summary that I told you I was going to give straight out of uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 29-31, 1 Kings chapter 12. I'll just read it to you. I've written it all out. I'm just going to read it to you. He called the Levites first to purify the temple and made a covenant with the Lord to serve him. To serve him only. And that comes to us from 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3 through 11. Things primarily used for worship were burned, burned at the brook, uh, brook Kidron, and the temple vessels uh, that were desecrated by his father Ahaz were rededicated. In 16 days, it only took him, think of this, he got into office, all right? <laughs> He got into office, and it only took him 16 days. In 16 days, the temple was ready for worship. It was ready to go again. He cleansed everything, all the idol worship out. That comes to you in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 16 through 36. Okay, Hezekiah then invited the Israelites from the providences of Samaria and Megiddo to join Judah in celebrating at the Passover in Jerusalem. Many people ridiculed uh, the king's messengers, but a few responded. Uh, coming from Asher, Manasseh, Ephraim, Issachar, as well as from Judah to celebrate the festival. He planned the celebration one month later, one month later than, the pres than prescribed, so as to allow adequate time for consecration, purification of everything, okay? And that comes to us from chapter 30, verse 1 through 12. In most other respects, the law, though, the law of Moses was carefully, carefully observed. Again, chapter 30. So it's reasonable, then, to conclude the month's postponement was most likely a conciliatory measure to gain the participation of the northern tribes, to really bring everybody back together, give them a chance to make plans to get there, everything else, okay? The northern tribes, they had been following uh, the observance date instituted by Jeroboam and First Kings, and that's a whole study we don't even need to get into. Uh, but it was during this celebration that the king... Hear me now, Hezekiah, the king, guess what he did? This is big. <laughs> this is big. He destroyed the bronze serpent Nehusatan. The bronze serpent Nehusatan. And the people, inspired by his actions, 
inspired by his actions, went out to demolish pillars, Asherah poles, Asherim, high places and altars throughout all the land, all of the pagan idolatry, false images, false uh, temples, all that stuff. They went out to destroy all of them throughout the land. And that's in 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Tithing. Tithing was reinstituted to support the newly reorganized priests and Levites in chapter 31. And these and seasons were once again observed in accordance with the new law. Now, do you think that that was easy to accomplish? I don't, I can only imagine. I'm sure it was not easy to accomplish, but he set his mind to it. He was a man of God. He was a good king. Why? Because he feared the Lord. And because he feared the Lord, what do they always do? They drain the swamp. He cleaned it all out. And he did it with quickness as well. It must have been a, it must have taken the entire government to massively do this in such a quick order. Uh, Hezekiah, church Hezekiah, was a great king. He was a great king. He honored God with his life. He honored God with his position. Hmm. Shouldn't we endeavor for, to do as much to honor God with our very lives and to honor God with our positions, whatever position we're in, whatever position you are in. Are you uh, uh, leading a business, managing a company? Are you waiting tables? Are you mowing yards? Whatever you're doing, use your position to honor God. So that was Hezekiah. Yet even he, even he, look, everything I just read you, that incredible endeavor that he did to purify the land, yet even Hezekiah, after doing all of that, was not allotted a life of casual relationship with God. He wasn't. If you recall this past Sunday's message, we talked about Jehoshaphat. He was a man of God. We read off a laundry list of great things that he did as well, right? He was a good king. And then he got hooked into making some bad decisions, right? How did he find himself in that position? Like, how did I get here, right? Well, he allowed daylight to come between he and the Lord. So this is a common thread and a common theme that we're seeing throughout the Word of God. However, here we are. We'll see where, where that takes us with Hezekiah. He was, as great as he was, he was not, even he was not allotted a life of casual relationship with God as none of us are, okay? You know, there seems to be, there seems to be uh, this thought in the back of people's minds, doesn't there? Uh, that if they do things right, if they do things right, uh, if they're good people really, then they shouldn't, encounter hardship. They really shouldn't encounter hurt. If they are a good person and they do things right, right? Uh, you know, we ha I think in large part we have prosperity gospel uh, to thank for that, right? In large part. Gnostic uh, teachings that have infected the church as well. Thanks, right? Uh, the, the Bible does contain for us, hear me now church, the Bible does contain for us promises of blessing, promises of favor, uh, that the work of our hands will prosper. It does indeed. Uh, 
you know, and that our needs will be met as well. It does. You know, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. But it also assures us of something else. Do you know what it is? Come on now. Somebody's on here is going to tell me what it is. I'm going to look right here. What else does the Bible promise us? Oh, we got some good comments going already. What else does it promise us? It promises us hardship, doesn't it? The Bible also assures us that we will face hard times and that we will be persecuted, as a matter of fact. Persecution. Things that we certainly would not consider to be good things, right? Um, I've always loved the saying that if you're being fought spiritually right now, if you know the enemy is uh, coming against you in whatever way, uh, it just means that you're doing something right, right? So... Uh, we can expect that. We should expect that. But I think it's a misnomer that oftentimes has us confused if it doesn't outright have us mad at God for that matter. A lot of times we get this idea in the back of our head that I'm a good person. I'm living my life the right way. I love you. And I'm being persecuted or having a hard time or not getting what I pray for and then we get mad at God, right? We think, you know, wait a minute, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be rich, right? I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to be healed, right? What would our brothers in Nigeria say to that perspective, huh? This isn't the way that it's supposed to go. I think that they might say that as their families are literally being hunted. You know, so, you know, it's also, it's also amazing to me uh, how many people fall into the trap of thinking that God might actually be mad at them on this note. I don't want to rabbit trail here too long, but, you know, they get mad at God because they think that they're being good and should be blessed, and then they're not for whatever reason, and then, you know, that, or the opposite of that is they might think that God is mad at me. That must be why I'm not getting blessed, Right. Uh, that must be the reason that I'm having a hard time, so on and so forth, or that I'm being punished. You know, there's some bad teaching out there um, that takes scripture out of context. Specifically, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, and it says that the Lord disciplines those that he loves, right? Or the King James Version says that it, he chastises those that he loves. Loves And some bad teachers have taken that out of context over the years to say, well, the Lord is, you know, somehow, if, you know, he's not blessing you, it's because he's upset with you, he's punishing you because he punishes those that he loves. And that's, that word in the Greek is the word padaio. And if you look at that in context, it really just means the Lord, it means, padaio means to train as one trains a child. So he trains you as he would train his own children, okay, those he loves, okay? That's a lot different than when we think discipline and we think this angry God, you know, Da Vinci painting on a cloud pointing in anger, Zeus-looking guy, right? So that's, that's not what uh, uh, I believe Paul is saying there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The Lord trains those he loves as you would train your children, so does he. And, you know, do, do your children need correction? And, and you know, Discipline isn't a bad word. By the way, discipline is not about this culture that we live in has made... I'm, I'm really rabbit trailing right now, guys. Sorry. But the culture that we live in today has made discipline a bad word. It's not a bad word. Your kids need discipline. Your kids are looking for boundaries. And when they... Why? Because when they find those boundaries, they know that you love them. They feel safe when they know where the boundary is. Do you know that feeling of uncertainty? 
that you have in your life for your future. It's some, so oftentimes that feeling of uncertainty that we have, it makes us afraid and it's just kind of lurking in the back of our minds, right? The fear creeps in and all these thoughts. It's just a terrible feeling, right? Kids have that same feeling, right? They need to know where their boundaries are, okay? So parents, tell your children where the boundaries are. They're just looking for them because they want to feel safe, okay? Do you get that? It's like, it's no different. It's no different. It's, that's where we get it from, okay? It's natural. Discipline your children. Discipline is not a bad word, okay? Don't abuse your children, but discipline just means correction, right? And it, don't I personally know that correction sometimes isn't fun. Some, correction is sometimes humiliating. But mother, it was Mother Teresa who said, she was asked one time in an interview, how did you become so humble? And she said, because I've been humiliated so much. That's good, isn't it? All right, I don't know where I was going with all this. Let's get back on track here. I love Wednesday nights, don't you guys? Okay. Um, so yeah, I was talking about. Uh, <laughs> I was talking about all that. Okay, let's get back on here. Oh, this, this, this. Don't let me lose this. You know, a lot of times when we're in these situations and we think, you know, God is either mad at me. Or, you know, we're upset, we're mad at God because we're doing things the right way. We're focused on that, right? And we're focused on the situation. We're so unhappy and we're just so miserable in that situation that it's often because of these misunderstandings that we don't get the growth out of a season uh, that we are potentially intended to. And sometimes these hard seasons that we go through, you know, God could save us from everything, but he doesn't because we grow through the persecution. We grow through hard times. When we have to uh, uh, bear down and get through something, when we have to persevere, man, that gives us thick skin, doesn't it? It grows us. And that's what this whole life is about in the first place is growing to be who we're going to be for an eternity, right? Guys, don't let this life pass you by without realizing that this is the one, you're an eternal being. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. And this moment right now is the one chance that you've got to grow, to grow by faith, in faith, in spirit, into the person you're going to be for an eternity. Because once we're there, you'll see. You'll, it won't take faith. You'll see, right? So this is your one chance that we operate in faith and unity with the Holy Spirit. And it, I'm just telling you, perseverance does something in us. It creates, it grows us, right? So I think oftentimes when we're just focused on the wrong things, we're focused on our own misery, right? Or focused on, I shouldn't be having a hard time. That's, this isn't fair. Or is God mad at me? This and that. Guys, I'm, I'm spending way more time on this than I intended to. But I, maybe it's the Holy Spirit because somebody needs to hear this tonight. Wherever you are right now, and if you're in a tight, tough spot right now, God wants you to learn something from that. He wants you to grow through it. He wants you to persevere through it. And if you're just, you're just hanging out, griping, being mad at God, or thinking God's mad at you, it's neither of those. You're meant to persevere through it in faith, by faith, call on Him for His strength to get through it. You know and grow from it. Figure out what it is in this season. What is he trying to teach you? You know, can I, can, can anyone agree with me here uh, in saying that I don't want to spend one second longer than I have to in a difficult season? Amen? So if, God, if I'm in a difficult season and God is not delivering me from that for some reason, 
then Lord, open my eyes to, to, to learn what I'm supposed to learn from it. And maybe it's just the process of persevering through it. And then once on the other side, the growth is there. But maybe there's a specific thing I'm supposed to learn. Lord, help me learn it. Amen. So we can move on to the next thing, right? Move out of it. Um, do I need to learn to praise you more? Right? Praise you in the middle of the storm. Praise you in the middle of my stress. Do I, is gratitude an issue with me? Do I need to be more grateful for the little things that you've done for me? You know, do I not pray enough? Are you, are you shutting things down in my life because I need to come to you more and fall at your feet more? Do I need to learn humility? Do I need to learn humility? Do I have a pride issue? You know, am I not dependent on you? Right? What is it? I don't know what it is, guys, but I just pray that you'll. Uh, lift that up to him. So Hezekiah, anyway, rabbit trails aside, hopefully there's a blessing in there for some of you guys. Hezekiah, truly, Hezekiah truly had every reason to expect smooth sailing in his life. Do you guys, you remember everything that I read you that he did, right? He, he, 16 days and the temple was rededicated. He drained the swamp, all right, for real. He had every reason to expect smooth sailing if performance, if performance is the key, like most people today might have a tendency to subconsciously think like I was saying, right? So remember what I was saying? I'm doing things the right way. Why am I having a hard time, right? If anybody has a right to think that way, it's this guy. The king finds himself, though, in an unexpected position. Uh, he receives an unexpected message from God. And that's where we'll read in Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Mm, that's a bad report. Verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Verse 3, he said this, he said, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah then wept bitterly. Pay attention to that, verse 3. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. Verse 7, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun. Okay, get this, get this now, right? This is the supernatural stuff here, guys. Verse 8, I will, this is the sign that the Lord will give you uh, that he's going to do what he promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back the 10 steps it has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight then went back 10 steps. It had gone down. And that's really fascinating. It's really cool. Uh, I wonder what was happening, you know, in the cosmos at that moment to really make that happen. Like, was, was Mars making a close approach? Was a massive asteroid, you know, coming by to stop the rotation 
of the earth or turn, uh, who, who knows what he can do. He's so almighty and so powerful. But there are a couple things that I notice in this scripture. A couple things. First, it doesn't say that he became ill and died, does it? No. God cared enough about him, cared enough about him to tell him what was happening. He spoke to Hezekiah. <laughs> he let him know exactly what was happening. And church, you know, he does the same thing for us. He does. The Holy Spirit is so good. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit all the time and how He leads us and how we need to pray before we do everything, especially before we ever make any major decisions. Am I right? I mean, He loves us, church. When we are walking with the Lord, and come on now, let me have some amens here. Where's my Pastor Clay, I always love to talk about his amen corner. Let me get my amen corner going over here. Give me some amens, guys. Verily, truth, I say, right? Uh, he loves us. And when we are walking with the Lord, we are surprised less and less. We're, honestly, are we not surprised less and less by things? Because the Lord, He gives us inclinations. He gives us inclinations in, with people and relationships, whether they're coming or going. He gives us inclinations with his timing on certain things and jobs and everything else, right? So secondly, though, so the Lord was good and the Lord communicated to him and gave him that. Uh, but secondly, we see Hezekiah's opinion, his opinion of his own walk with God. Can you, let me ask you, can you with a straight face describe your relationship with God in such a way. Uh, if the answer is no, you know, you can get there, okay? Remember, he didn't say perfect. He didn't say my, I'm perfect and my relationship with you is perfect and all that good stuff, okay? Now, he had uh, three main points that he made. When he turned his face to the wall and wept, the second thing he did was he described his, uh, there it is, he described his uh, relationship. What's the first thing he said? He said, faithfully. Faithfully. Faithfully, he said, uh, I've walked before you. Walked before you faithfully. Second was wholeheartedly. With a wholehearted devotion, all my heart I have given to you. Can you say that? Can you say that? That in your life as you walk before the Lord, that you, I have walked before you faithfully, Lord God. I have walked before you faithfully, and I have with a wholehearted devotion I have done that, and I have done what is good in your eyes. That's me. And now I get this, right? So, like I said before, if anybody has, a, if, if he's right on, if he's describing his walk with God accurately, if anybody's got a right to have a beef, it's this guy, isn't it? So, with that said, with that said, you know, this self-description that he gives of himself, uh, I will conjecture this may, this may point to what God's trying to do in this, okay? The self-description that he gives in his weeping, you know, it may suggest that God wanted to humble him. It may suggest that God wanted to humble him through this. Anyway, thirdly, third, third thing I pull out of that, what did he do? He, you know, third thing I notice in there is that he wept. He wept bitterly. He wept bitterly, the text tells us. You know, the Hebrew word uh, words used here are this. Let's take a look at that definition for the word wept. Can we do that? Baka. 
to weep, bewail. I don't know what it is about that word bewail, but when I hear that bewail, I, just, oh, I feel it like, you ever cried so hard, just you cried from your soul? I mean, do you know what I'm talking about, guys? I know I certainly have a few times in my life. You know, to bewail, cry, shed tears, to weep in grief, humiliation, or joy, to weep bitterly, to weep uh, uh, upon embrace and weep, bewail, right? So we get the point. I mean, just the whole soul weeping. And not just that, but bitterly. Bitterly as well. Can we see the definition of bitterly? Let's see that one. Gadaul. Gadaul is the word. Greatly. Large. In magnitude and extent in number and intensity. Do you feel this? In intensity, loud in sound. You get this? Read this. Loud in sound. My goodness. Greatly. Greatly. Loudly. Oh, he bewailed. He didn't just weep, church. Come on now. Come back to me. He didn't just weep. He wailed with all his heart, with all his soul. He wailed, church. If your heart is broken, hear me now. If you're watching this, if your heart is broken, if you have been crying out, if you've been crying out wholeheartedly with all your heart, he hears you, church. He hears you. Verse 5 said, Go tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the, the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. And I've seen your tears. Fourthly, I notice that when God, when God answers our prayers, it's not only us who receives the blessing. Because what did he say? What did he say <clears throat> when he said, I'll deliver you? He also said, I'll deliver you and the city. Do you see the text there? I'll deliver you and the city as well. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That was in verse 6. I will defend the city. Oh, church. That's good. So what can we learn from this story? What can we learn from Hezekiah, this king of men? You know, a lot of the time I think we try to get out. Uh, we try to get out of what God is trying to do in. Do you understand? He's trying to do something in us. The persecutions that we're going through, the delayed deliverance, the God, I've been praying, when are you going to do this? Lord, I'm doing everything right. Why aren't you holding your end of the bargain up? All that mess we get into. God, are you upset with me? Are you angry with me? Why aren't you doing We get into these conversations with God so much in the church, and they're, 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 they're on sand. They're arguments that stand on sand. They're the wrong argument to be having. It's the wrong thing to be focusing on. If you're in a position where you're praying to God, or you're dealing with a hardship or persecution, or you're... Um, you know, praying for God to bring something or whatever, and it's not coming, you need to be praying to God to show you what He's trying to do in you 
through the season, through the waiting, through the perseverance. It's your responsibility to persevere, push forward, push through in unity with the Holy Spirit. And that's where he grows you. That's where your spiritual muscles get bigger than they ever could any other way. You know, everything's type and shadow in this life. You know, bodybuilders, we work out, right? I like to work out a little bit. What happens when you do curls, right? Your muscles tear, right? This is the strain that, because when they tear, then they heal, they grow, they grow back bigger, stronger, right? That's the process of work. It's, it's type and shadow everything, everything in nature to spirit. It's just incredible how he has made all of us, right? A lot of times we're trying to get out, like, oh, God, deliver me. I don't deserve this. What are you mad at me? I'm mad at you and all this stuff. And we're missing the point. God's trying to create. So he's using all these circumstances to create and do something in you, to grow you, mature you. Don't miss it. God forbid we make the, the unpleasant periods of our lives any longer than they would have to be otherwise because we're not maximizing our opportunity to grow. Amen? So don't be trying to get out of what God is trying to do in you. Or I'll say this, through you. You may be where you're at. I'm telling you, I've said this before. You know, we've got people... When we first started this church, I had to go back to waiting tables to supplement our income at the melting pot, the job I had when I was 21 years old. I'm like, God, really? I mean, you've brought us so far and grown me and professionally and all that, and I'm going to go wait tables again. Okay, all right. Well, I did, and I met Lindsay there, right? And then Lindsay came to church and brought her mom, Pam, and Lindsay and Pam are part of our church. And you know what? I'll tell you what. Going back to what, having to go back to work at the melting pot for that season in my life, which I, you know, it's going to work, you know, wait tables, great place to work and everything, but I didn't really want to wait tables at that point in my life. But I can tell you what, it was worth it if for that reason alone, right? So God is good like that. He might have you in a place or a season in your life right now because you're supposed to minister to somebody there. And that's, you've been given an assignment. So don't be blowing your assignment because you're having this argument with God with whether you're mad at Him or you think He's mad at you and all this mess, right? Somebody say amen. You got me? I still got a few of you guys on here, don't I? Somebody say amen for me. Shout it out. Okay. So, I mean, case in point, think about this. Uh, think of the story of Paul. Story of Paul in Acts, right? I think it's uh, in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they go into a trous, I think it is. I don't know. I don't have the scripture um, in front of me. But uh, they cast a demon out of a woman who is a fortune teller. She's starting to declare that these guys are you know, servants of the Most High God. And Paul gets annoyed. So he casts the demon out of her. The guy who is basically like her pimp, you know, making money from her business of telling fortunes, gets mad at them. They, you know, throw them in jail. While they're in jail, there's a great earthquake and their shackles come free. And they have the opportunity to, to jailbreak, right? And the prison guard in that moment thinks he'll fall on his sword because back then in the Roman culture, what it was is if you're a prison guard and the prisoner escapes, you take the prisoner's place. So rather than be shamed and have to, you know, be in, be jailed for the rest of his life, he was going to just fall on his sword, and that was typical for their uh, culture. 
Anyway, Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. We're here. We've not run away. We've not done that to you. Okay. Obviously, jail's a, not a cool place to be, right? So why didn't they run? Because in every scenario Paul was ever in, he was looking for the, why does God have me here? Do you know that when he didn't run and he saw that and he stopped that guard, that, that he then led that guard to Jesus? And that guard's whole family got saved through Paul's being imprisoned because he got annoyed and caused some trouble by casting a demon out of a fortune teller in town. I'm just saying, guys. All right, so let's close up here tonight. One thing, let's go back to the scripture, Isaiah chapter 38. One thing that God accomplished in Hezekiah is outlined by Hezekiah himself in the verses that follow uh, verses 9 through 20. Let's read them together, shall we? All right. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery, which we just read about. Verse 10, I said, in the prime of my life, I must go through the gates of death. In the prime of my life, excuse me, must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? Verse 11, I said, I will not again see the Lord himself in the land of the living. No longer will I look upon my fellow man or be with those who now dwell in this world. Verse 12, like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me like a weaver. I have rolled up my life, and he has cut me off from the loom. Day and night, you made an end of me. Verse 13, I waited patiently till dawn. But like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a mourning dove. My eyes grew weak. As I look to the heavens, I am being threatened. Lord, he cries out, come to my aid. But what can I say? Verse 15. He has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Could this be what the Lord was trying to do in him? Verse 16, Lord, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health, and let me live. Verse 17, surely it was for my benefit. Oh, hold up now. Come on now. You hear this, guys? Verse 17, it's coming home. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such great anguish. Who else does that sound like Old Testament-wise, guys? David? Well, I didn't let you answer. David, <laughs> surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such great anguish in your love. In your what? Love. You kept me from the pit of destruction. And pride will do that, by the way. It'll lead you down a road of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. Verse 18, for the grave cannot praise you, but I can, right? Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness, but I do, right? The living, 
The living, I love that in Hebrew when they repeat something, it's for special emphasis. The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. Parents tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will sing and sing with stringed instruments. I don't know if the Church of Christ will like that one. I don't know. We will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Amen. And all God's people said... Amen. Like I said, some people believe that the king struggled with uh, pride uh, due to this writing, um, which outlines what you know King Hezekiah thought was accomplished. Obviously, he thought that you know humility was accomplished in him. You know, in the prime of his life, he was brought to uh, his end. He was humbled in humility. Uh, in humility, he was led to praise. And in the end, he was grateful for all of it. There's such a good lesson in this for us, church, isn't there? So good, so good. I tell you what, you know, in closing tonight, our nation finds itself, truly finds itself uh, in a dark night of the soul moment. We all know that. We all feel that. We're all in it together. We feel each other in that. You know, we've received a bad report in a way, haven't we, Uh, with all of this uh, corruption uh, if, if I can give you one commission sending here tonight in regards to where we are as a nation and the kings of men of today in this world and what we're facing uh, with the fight for our Republican liberty and everything else, and which is really what it is, because if, if indeed there was corruption and fraud in the vote, it's, it's a treasonous attack on liberty itself. Yeah. You understand the severity of that. It's not like cheating at Monopoly. This is our constitutional rights and liberty. At the end of the day in this land, all, we, all that sets us apart from anybody else is the Constitution and the rule of law being enforced, right? That's it, okay? Um, if we're really at that place, you know, this is, you know, guys, we, uh, let me just say this. We need to turn our wall, our face to the wall, turn our wall. We need to turn our faces to the wall. Let's pull that out of this tonight as a sending, as a commission for all of us, all right? Let's turn our faces to the wall and cry out as one voice to our God tonight. Amen, church? Come on now. In the name of Jesus, pray with me, church. Lord, we turn our faces to the wall and we cry bitterly, Father, wholeheartedly, Lord, greatly, Lord. We bemoan in the name of Jesus, God, have mercy on our nation, God. Have mercy on your people, Lord Jesus. We pray right now supernaturally, God, that you would expose all corruption, all liars in the name of Jesus right now, God. We ask you that truth would be known. And we aren't biased, by the way, in the name of Jesus, God. Whoever is the liar, expose the liars. In the name of Jesus, drag them out, Father. Let them be known that there can be justice served in our republic saved, Father. You are the one who, who formed this nation, God. This for, nation would not have been formed without your almighty divine hand intervening into the course of history in this world, Lord Jesus. So we surrender our hearts, all of our hearts, Lord Jesus, to you. And we lift them up and we say, Lord Jesus, please hear the cries of your people, Lord Jesus, for the United States of America, for this republic, Lord Jesus, that you restore, Father, that you restore purity, Father. 
purity in the halls of Congress, Lord Jesus, that you would, you would cast out all corruption, that you would not only make it known, God, that justice would be served, Father, that you would put the men and women in place, God, to en enact the law, to, to, to bring a swift resolve and punishment for those offenders of it, Lord Jesus. Let your perfect will be done above all else, though, Lord Jesus. Lord, we, we submit ourselves humbly before you. We come boldly, yet humbly before you. And we ask for your aid with all our hearts, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're watching this and you're at a place where you uh, feel inspired and you want to recommit your heart to the Lord, I hope that you'll message us, guys. Or maybe you're watching this and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, to Jesus, and you don't know what that looks like. You don't know what living a life uh, in unity with Jesus and your calling and your purpose and all that. You don't even know what that looks like. Message us, guys, so we can, we can point you in the right direction. We can get you into the Word of God. We can encourage you, okay? But if that's you right now and you're watching this and, and, and you want to you wanna get your life on the right track and you want to get it on uh, uh, track with, with Jesus, uh, pray with me now, right now. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Father, expose the corruption in my own heart, God, and purge it out of me, Lord God. Lord, I want to I walk in your grace, Father, in, in your unmerited favor, Lord Jesus. I want to stand in your light, Lord God. I want to be where you are, Lord. And when you come back, when you come back, I want you to come from me. Lord, I want you to count me, count me as worthy uh, as the bride of Christ along with, uh, with the church, Lord, with, with all those that you love. Come into my heart and make me new, God. Walk with me all the days of my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. And because you live, I now live in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said, Amen. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you. May He pour His favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. We'll see you Sunday morning at the Rutledge West, guys, at 10.30 a.m. Come join us. Invite friends. Invite, invite. It's such a beautiful place. The spirit in that place is just rich and full, is it not? So let's let's fill that place up Sunday morning. And if you're out of state or you can't join us in person, join us online. We love you guys. Check out lifestorychurch.com. Blessings to you.